It's Monday, September 24th, 2018. I'm Jeremiah Simmerman, and this is episode 178 of the 5049 podcast. How you guys doing? You all right? Thanks for joining us for another conversation between myself and another musician today, an improvising sound-based cellist named Leila Baudrey. Leila Baudrey. I'm pretty sure I am butchering uh, uh, her last name, Baudrey, but uh, let's hear what she's up to. That's what uh, improvised string music in 2018 sounds like, you dig? Today on the show, Leila Baudrey. I'm going to Paris in a couple weeks, so I need to get that shit together. God damn it. Uh, I just wrapped up a conversation, uh, part two. The return of Matthew Ship. Woo! You guys are in for a good one. Uh, that'll come up in a couple weeks. Matt just left my house, and... Um, for those of you who thought the uh, the first Matt Ship episode from 2013 was spicy, you're in for a treat. So look forward to that in a couple weeks. Uh, hey, thanks to everyone who's been um, chipping into the Patreon. It means a lot. If you dig the show, help it out. You can do that a couple of ways. You can go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash 5049podcast, become a monthly donor. Um, that's a big way to help. If uh, you want to help out another way and, you know, you're a little bit light, do me the flavor. Go to iTunes and rate and review the show. Uh, If you fucking hate it, say, this show sucks. This guy sucks. I don't know why I wasted my time listening to it. If you enjoy it, say, hey, I dug this. You should check it out. That helps a lot. It helps with visibility. Uh, Yeah. All right. Uh, On the show today, Leila Bourgeois. I think I've pronounced it differently every time. And Layla, I'm sorry. I emailed you. Layla's been in New York uh, since 2012. She went to Bard College, studied with Marina Rosenfeld, developed a long-term musical collaboration with Michael Foster, the intense and creative saxophonist. Uh, he, He was on the show a few months ago. She was raised in the south of France, but she has strong Brooklyn and New Orleans ties. We're going to find out all about that today. What Layla does with the cello is uh, it's very much sound-based. Uh, it's, it's a very restrained uh, uh, form of improvisation where second to second, every little bit of information counts. Not a lot of excess. Layla don't like waste. We talk about that today. She, much to my uh, approval, not that she needs it, um, has been very conservative with the releases that she puts out. Uh, So far, she's got three records out there that you can check out, and they're all fabulous. They all represent uh, a really concise and well-measured musical statement. Um. One is a duo record with Zach Rowden, the bass player, who is a fucking monster, and you should all check out. That was playing at the top of the show. She's got a duo record out with Michael Foster, who I just mentioned, and also a duo record with the uh, woodwind player, conceptualist Leah Bertucci, who was on the show 
uh, a thousand years ago. Layla's great. This conversation was just recorded uh, last week. Usually I put a bit of time between the, the conversations and the dates that I put them up. But I'm putting it up today for uh, two specific reasons. And both those reasons are about shows that Layla is doing this week. First up, this Wednesday, September 26th, at Issue Project Room, she's premiering a new project, a collaboration with the great Daron Sajay, a string quartet with a light installation. It's going to be fucking great. Mivo's quartet is playing it, so that should give you some indication of the seriousness of what's going down. That's this Wednesday, September 26th, at Issue Project Room, downtown Brooklyn. September 29th, Layla is doing a gigantic house show. It's an annual event for her. She's doing it September 29th at her place in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn. It's called Spizzy Fest. It's going to be an uh, 11-hour-long concert with Akiyonda, Bill Nace, Okyung Lee, Charmaine Lee, uh, Michael Foster, and Ben Bennett. A lot of people. It's going to be great. If you want to find out more about that, this is one of those fun uh, house shows where you can't publicly say where it's happening. But if you want to find out more about it, email spzfest at gmail.com. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a party. It's going to be a full bar, so you know it's going to be good. And last but not least, if you want to find out more about Layla, go to her website, laylabaudrey.com. That's L E I L A. B-O-R-D-R-E-U-I-L.com. You dig? Layla, sorry if I fucked up your name throughout all this. Go to her website. Check out her releases. Check out her tour dates. There's some, some nice videos. She's a, she's a good egg. We had a lot of fun doing this conversation. This was uh, just last week here on the Lower East Side. Here's my conversation with Layla Boudreau. It's pristine. And like I have a couple synths like that where like I know a lot of people are like really into like modular synths and like doing their full rig out and everything like that. I, I just want to press a button and hear it do awesome things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is uh, the soundtrack you're doing? It's this documentary um, that was shot in Nepal about um, the b -b -b Tibetan sky burial rituals. Mm -hmm. So, you know, where they take the bodies up to the mountains, mm -hmm. hack them up in like a ceremonial uh, fashion and feed the body parts to the vultures. Mm. The idea is the vultures then take the bodies into like the heavens. This. Yeah. I'm nervous. Don't like, be nervous. I, I guess so. That's why we have martinis. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Cheers. Right? Cheers. I'm glad you came over. Yeah, me too. Wait, so you did you've already done a soundtrack? Or multiple soundtracks? There's too much vermouth in that, I'm sorry. There's too much what? Vermouth. I like it. Yeah, I was about to say yeah. you're French. You probably like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. There was some famous quote, I forget, I mean, it's not that famous because I can't remember it, that Churchill said about uh vermouth that he once 
the vermouth to be as far from him as Francis or something. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that quote. <laughs> I wouldn't know that quote. I think. No, it's definitely like the French people when they come in the restaurant, they they like a wet martini. They're the worst. They're French? No, the customers, the French customers. They're among the worst. They certainly have that reputation. Well deserved. Yeah. And you always worked in French places when you worked in restaurants. Yeah. Oh, God. I can't imagine what that would be like to have to serve French people when they know that you speak French. Yeah. Is it extra bad? Uh, I, it, was, I, it depends. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes they're yeah. like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like weird nationalists, you know? They are. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, there's a reason why I'm not there anymore. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. And then they're like, they're like, your wine is too warm. Put it in a bucket of ice for three minutes and bring it back. Uh-huh. <laughs> Cellar temperature. <laughs> Cellar temperature. This bottle of wine is like thirty-two dollars. <laughs> like, exactly. what are you talking? Exactly. Who cares? It's like the equivalent of like nine bucks at the liquor store. You right. Know? Just- <laughs> are, are you are you into wine? Yes. Do you care about wine? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah. Are yeah. you getting into like the natural wine craze? Uh, I like the natural wines. I like the yeah. biodynamic wines. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm not like a connoisseur. Like, right. If if I. If I'd be like blabbering about wine, I probably probably people who actually know about wine would be laughing. Well, that's like the whole culture of it is like everyone rolls their eyes at everyone, right? That's so it's true. kind of like I roll. <laughs> like I know nothing about wine, but when I hear like trigger words, like I want a big California cab, I'm like, all right, idiot, you know? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I yeah. like, have to like talk about grapes and yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I have learned, like you do learn, especially with like natural wines, that like. What you're actually tasting is the soil and the work that the, you know, the, the producers have put into tending their soil, tending their vines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's always funny to me when French people, um, certain French people get like really nationalistic about like wine, certain wines from like Bordeaux, where it's like that soil. Yes, it's rare. Sorry about the dogs, but like so they've been like harvesting it to shit, you know, there's like all these chemicals to keep the grapes going. So. Anyway, this is a music podcast. It's true. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize you'd been in New York that long. I've been in New York six years, but uh, I was born in Brooklyn. What? Yeah, and I moved to France when I was like one years old. Are your parents French? Uh, my father is French. Uh, my mother is American, but she uh, lived in France for a long time. Okay. And my dad, my mother is brilliant. My dad is like... <laughs> no- I mean, I love him, but he's not, like, brilliant like my mother is. So he, like, couldn't really handle, like, adapting to New York City. So Like a typical French. Yeah, I mean, he was born in Marseille. He still lives in Marseille. He's 70 years old. Like, he's never been away. He went to New York for, like, two years, and, like, that's it. That's all he can do. Like, that's, yeah, he just loves his uh, Provence, you know? Yeah. Um, So that's a big part of why I came back uh well i have citizenship which is nice um but i i wanted to go home because the south of france even just the fact me not being born there i would get attitude from people you know like oh you're not a real southerner and it's like i've lived here for 20 years like yeah (laughs) yeah that's obnoxious um, yeah Obviously, not everyone is like of that. Course, of course, of course. But um, there is that attitude. But, but like, it, there is that attitude. And um, 
I like New York City because um, even though people say it takes 10 years to be a, new, a real New Yorker, um, you can really feel at home like really quickly because there's so many people mm -hmm. from around the world. Um, so for someone like me who has this like French-American thing and you don't really know, are you French, are you American, mm -hmm. or... I mean, who cares? But anyway, it matters. Like, it, um, I mean, is your mom from? She's like from Brooklyn. Uh, she is actually from Louisiana. Oh. Um. Oh, whoa. But she, she, uh, she, she lived in Paris for a long time because she was in the uh, French uh, philosopher scene, like Deleuze, Foucault, yada yada. Mm -hmm. It's like that period of time. Um, but it was a really awful scene, an extremely sexist um, in Louisiana. Seen no in Paris. Yeah. That's why she lived in Paris. So she like left to uh move to New York. She's an academic to do um her own thing because she would tell me stories about like Baudrillard and like all these yeah. people and uh you know, when like Foucault came over to uh the house uh, to hang out with her first uh, husband um, he would make her uh, leave the house, you know, because like no women in the house allowed. During intense like, academic discussion. Yeah, exactly. Right. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, that sounds like... It's like her own house, you yeah. know? Yeah. So she left him. Um, she left the husband and the, the scene <laughs> and the country. She left it all. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck. But so in Louisiana, is she from like... Is she French in blood through some sort of like uh, Irish immigrant? Okay, uh, rural background. Yeah. Uh, Have you spent time in Louisiana? Oh yeah, I I lived in New Orleans for a bit too. Really? Um, what was that like? I lived there. Well, I lived there because uh, my parents are social scientists were doing work on Katrina, so I moved to the Lower Ninth Ward. Um, after Katrina, the, the uh, a little less than a year after Katrina, um, which was insane. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> um, and it was like there's like the house that I stayed in, and and the two houses next to me were just like a pile of plaster and you know wood, whatever, uh -huh. and like just. The streets were all messed up. You couldn't really drive in them. There was no buses anywhere because the streets were so messed up that a bus would sure. fall over. Sure, you know, yeah, it was yeah. dangerous. Um, so there were all these abandoned cars over there, and it was so hot and tropical. And you'd look in the car, and there would be, like, maggots everywhere. Um, it's like out of a horror movie or a nightmare. Uh, yeah. No, it was pretty intense. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, you how old were you during that period? Sixteen. Sixteen. So you were going to some sort of public high school or private high school? Uh, no, it was over the summer. Okay. Um, but I was working for Acorn, um, which at the time I didn't know what they were actually up it, to. It was but, some sort of like relief effort. Uh, relief effort. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did uh, the most boring stuff ever. Um, collecting college data to reach out to college students so you weren't like in the shit like no i was like, like in bodies. an office all <laughs> right. summer long like 16 years old like oh that sounds terrible nine to five in the heat um 
and also because I was an American, I didn't know like the geography at all, and I was just like. But aren't all the signs like? Is there like plenty of French signage around the city to sort of? Yeah, but it's Creole. It's like a right. really different. Right. Um, it's such a different culture. Like the the French Creole culture, from going to French to uh, what it is today is just so warped. You know, I yeah. wouldn't be able to understand someone speaking sure. <laughs> uh, Louisiana. I wouldn't Creole. understand them speaking English. Most yeah, likely. no, you know. Well, so. New Orleans in particular has such like a like weird confluence of 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 cultural influence like there's a lot of new jersey influence on new orleans a lot of people don't realize interesting yeah you hear it in the it's such a peculiar accent but certain words will pop out you'll hear them and there is in fact like a very traceable line of new jersey dock workers that came down to new orleans and brought plenty of their accent and culture with them so between like the french influence and the new jersey influence and now like, wow. the vietnamese influence there's just all yeah. this crazy stuff happening I love New Orleans. I yeah yeah. Have you no, been back amazing. as an adult? Yeah, I've been back uh, fairly often because I have family there, and every time I go, I don't know. It's amazing. I miss it. I want to go back. I want to go. I've um, never been. Uh, I just like uh, the whole Louisiana, the humidity and the heaviness of the air and the smells. You like that? And uh, frog and alligator to really good food uh i really like alligator po boys really <laughs> like yeah um and uh yeah it's it's an interesting place i it's a, a shame uh, for that uh, there's i i don't know much of an experimental music scene there so i don't know that there is one uh, yeah apparently there isn't which is so strange because they have such they do have like total weirdo scenes you know yeah there's a lot i mean that's what new orleans is about it's being a fucking weirdo yeah it's being a fucking weirdo but in terms of music uh, i mean you know what there's probably no need for it you know what i'm saying maybe like it's it's i think if i i'm totally out of my element but i imagine if i grew up in new orleans like i might not like feel the need to like clash against you know, monoculture, because it was like, well, everything is kind of colorful and bizarre. Like, I don't need to go searching for weird shit. Yeah, no, it's true. Definitely. I mean, I guess, like, a lot of times the weirdest shit comes from the, like, most normie places. Yeah. You know? Totally. I don't I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's... Like, you go to some places, like, in, in rural America, where they have these, like, scenes of, like, you know, basement noise shows and improvisers and people who are like really serious about making like extreme like weird music and it's like what the f how did this happen you know and it's usually like four people that you know found each other and really sort of believe in it yeah 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 have you done much touring in the united states a little yeah <clears throat> not as much as uh other people uh i i don't drive first right. of all right so that's a, a big one and um but i've been touring like a little more recently in the u.s i guess not having a car is the biggest thing because mm -hmm. i can't just hit up a bunch of people in venues and just like go you yeah know? you don't even have a license like Mm -mm. Right. Yeah, I oh, can't drive. Yeah, I mean, you're not missing anything. Touring in the states kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I, yeah, I don't uh, plan on getting my driver's license. But so anymore. growing up in the south of France, like where specifically was it? Aix-en-Provence. Okay. Yeah. And was there, uh, like, culturally, was it? 
uh, culturally, put together. there's absolutely no weirdo stuff. Um, but what? But what about a culture of just like good food, appreciation of good literature? Well, or is it like French rednecks. <laughs> yeah, it's is a mix. I mean, it's very beautiful there. Yeah. So there's a fair amount of uh, rich people who move there from Paris and stuff. You know, mm. because the weather is nice and. And there's a very famous opera festival there. It's actually the biggest fo- um, opera festival in the world, Le Festival d'Aix. So there's a huge classical music scene there. Um, and that's kind of like how I started playing the cello. Mm-hmm. Because as a kid in that city, like when you have Le Festival d'Aix that uh, lasts all summer, You'll see things like ice ensemble and stuff. Um, they, they kind of like go side stage, you know, a little right. bit. But um, you'll see like these insane like string quartets on the street. They're like practicing, you know, yeah. for like the show. Yeah. So there's kind of classical music uh, everywhere, uh-huh. and uh, playing music was like my own choice. Um, they didn't push it on you at all. No, I was like five or something. Yeah. And, you know, the French in the public system, they're very uh, erudite, you know? Like uh, in high school, I studied Kant and like Marx and. People like, are better educated this. over there. There's no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then when it? you get to college, I mean, it's, it's pretty bad. I was actually watching the news today. They were saying that six out of 10 students fail their first year of college in the public system. But what's that a statement on? Is that uh, on on the the, the the poor quality of the education? or uh, the poor quality of uh, college education hmm. and uh, uh, the structure of it. It's free. It's all right. free. So there's a lot of people, too, who just don't care or have no ambition at all. They just... And it's not a they, situation they, like in the United States where, where young adults are you know, unknowingly entering into like hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt, they're just like, fuck it. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to have free education, obviously. Yeah. Um, And there are certain schools that are better than others, but mostly they're kind of, yeah, they're like public uh, colleges. So, you know, a lot of people who don't know what they want to do, they just uh, study language, Mm -hmm. you know, English, but they don't care right they, they, um so a lot of people flunk because they they just don't know what they want to do yet which is fine they're and, 18 years old and that's like a more recent phenomenon or is that when you were growing up did you sort of observe that that what is what laid ahead was like an unenthusiastic college experience yeah well when i left um to go to bard actually so you left um, france specifically for bard yeah kind yeah. of um which is no, tell me. Well, it's just like it's a very specific college experience that's not quite like most. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's fantastic. The academics when I was there were phenomenal. Did you get there in time for Marianne Amache or was she gone no, already? No, she was gone. Yeah. I went there. I was there with Michael Foster. Yeah. <laughs> um, I studied under Marina Rosenfeld uh-huh. and Richard Teitelbaum, Zena Parkins, who gave me a B plus. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I heard she's tough as a, an instructor. Yeah, she's really tough. Her yeah. curriculum was like super strict. Uh-huh. And I had the intro to electronic music. Well, let me just <laughs> tell you something about Zena Parkins, who I adore. 
Yes. I did a gig with her in Brooklyn uh, like a month or two ago, and I agreed to meet her at her apartment in, Lo- in Tribeca uh, to help her like get her harp into a cab and all that shit. Mm-hmm. So through email, we agreed I would be outside her place. Uh, she gave me the address at 4.30. I'm never late for anything. And at 4.28, I was around the corner, turning onto the where she told me to, and I get a text message from her. Or, no, uh, it responds to the email. Standing outside, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's really, like, pretty straight-laced with that shit. She's an amazing teacher, though. Yeah. You know? And she's an amazing musician. Yeah. So, so, um, so Marina was there, and, and Rachel... Heidelbaum, yes. Zena. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was very close to to them. Well, not to Zena. She was there super quick. But I was very close to Marina mm-hmm. and Richard at the time. I ended up going to Florida with Richard to do a residency. Okay. Oh, we're on, you, like the Atlantic Center. Yeah, yeah, we were at the Atlantic Center for the Arts. Uh, uh, we were like on the beach for like a month. <laughs> Okay. You know, with Richard Teitelbaum. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> smoked a lot of weed. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, why did you... So you said, I want to go to Bard because it seems like crazy... Sh- or why did you want to go there? Okay, so... Um, uh, so basically, the, the, the year I left to go to Bard, which was in 2008... Um, uh, you know, a lot of my friends uh, stayed in X or in the South and went to college there. And um, I think the total year is like nine months or something. And for nine, for six of these months, um, the university was closed mm. um, because of demonstrations. Um, and actually, it was against this specific uh, education law. Um, that concerned universities and high school. Um, and when I was in high school, we blocked the high school as well that year for, I guess, three weeks or something. In France. Yeah, so we built a barricade uh, in front of the gate so no one could like come in the school um, and no one could go to class for like weeks. What exactly was being <clears throat> protested? Um, these reforms that... This was 10 years ago, uh-huh. so... Um, but you know, essentially, just cutting costs and yeah. uh, increasing uh, the amount of kids in the classes, right. and right, right, um, right. cutting off the arts and literature, all the classic always, maneuvers the classic of, stuff. Yeah, not sure about exactly what they did at a university, but um, yeah, we blocked that the, the school for like weeks, and then the summer happened, and they continued fighting um, throughout the year. Um, so. Yeah, no one, people just lost a full year of education, you know? Yeah. Um, so I felt really lucky and privileged that I could go to class. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I worked really, really, really hard. It was definitely workaholic. But, I mean, Bard, if it, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, is a pretty, like, unorthodox environment, right? Like, do, do you still have to do, like, prerequisites of... Yeah. You do? But, like... Ableton counted as a music theory <laughs> class. <laughs> but you know what? Quite honestly, like Ableton Live is probably more valuable a skill than, I don't know. Definitely. Basic. I don't know. I'm like really bad at all things school related. Uh, but it seems like, you know, if I can make a beat and sell it to someone for $12, 
Yeah. <laughs> then that's worth more than being able to, you know, solve a problem, a math problem. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't go to school. I don't know anything. You didn't go to school. No, 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 no. Did you, um, I know you can't really, maybe you can't really answer this because she was gone by the time you got there, but did you get a sense that the spirit of Marianne Amache, like, was residual at the university? Well, yes and no, because to some extent, yes. But think about it. What you have uh, during the school year at Bard, when there's not the master's program, is uh, 18 to 22-year-olds. Yeah. Um, when I went to Bard, like, there was a picture on Marina Rosenfeld's door of her on the cover of The Wire. Of Marianne. Of of Marina. Okay. And I was like, uh, why is Marina on the cover of, like, a tech magazine? Oh, you thought it was Wired. Right. Yeah. So, like, a lot of kids were in the same situation. Yeah. Like, why would we know... Right. Why would I have learned about my Marianne Amache like in the south of France? You know. Right. Um, right. Sure. I came like just wet behind the ears. I loved that stuff. I was really into Xnakis and Pierre Henri and a lot uh-huh. of things. But I still—it's kind of a miracle that I found out about these things in general. Like, yeah. Before. Um, so any anyway, the the my point is that. Um, I didn't necessarily really feel that sure. Mariana Mache, uh, like uh, I don't know. Yeah, that, that her, her presence was still felt. Yeah. Was still felt, but uh, when I graduated from Bard, any time I tell people I went to Bard, they're like, "Oh, Mariana." Well, you would have just missed her if you started in two thousand eight. Yeah, I think she passed away in two thousand eight. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, it seems like I mean, I've never set foot on the Bard campus. Um, it, it seems like they 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 uh, they breed like a pretty certain type of weirdo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you sort of dive right into it? Yeah, I was so happy to finally like meet weirdos. You showed up with what classical chops? Yeah, yeah, like total classical chops. And there was where I'm from. There was no rock venues right there's no rock venues in my town there were no high school bands really the only no no music based in rhythm and blues pretty much no right i would have known because there's also like kind of a rocker kid you know and you're any rock you're finding is from like the internet yeah right well i have myspace and that was huge sure yeah yeah that was like the biggest thing Ever for me, uh, but people love. I'll just say, as someone like a little bit older than you, or but like people love talking shit about MySpace. I can say emphatically that there was a period of time in like two thousand five to two thousand seven where MySpace was incredibly helpful in booking tours, in meeting people, and booking dis- tours, yeah, huh? Interesting. And discovering music that like you didn't even know that this type of music existed. Like, yeah, it was a bunch of like sleazy people and you know doing cheesy things, but. There are people in this world that I'm still in contact with, that I still play with, that I I got to know through MySpace. Wow. Yeah, I mean, me too, actually. Uh, I don't know if I'm friends with them anymore, but (laughs) definitely. um, But, no, that was really huge for me. And it was funny. I I put on, like, uh, 
you know, like the residence and Devo and like as the music that you like enjoyed? the music yeah. I enjoyed. And then like I'd meet people from L.A. and it was so exciting for me. And they'd be like, you like Devo? Like, yeah, totally. Check this thing out. And, you know, wow. Thank God for my space. <laughs> I never would have like, I mean, maybe I'd end up do what I'm doing uh, without my space. But, you know, I discovered Xenakis through MySpace, so... <laughs> I mean, take it where you can get it. Yeah. Like, Xenakis is... I, I, I look into my crystal ball, and I know that, like, when I'm... If I live to be 100, I'll still be, like, listening to Xenakis and, and knowing that that's the shit, you know? I wonder if you'll live to be 100. Probably not. I mean, at this point, I don't think any of us will. <laughs> well, maybe the other way around, you know? Like, no, I mean, like, we'll probably all die in, like, five years to co- collectively and collectively <laughs> you think there'll be an apocalypse in five years I think the apocalypse already started i just yeah. think it's like it's kind of like a slow burn it's not like a big pop i don't know even if there is no apocalypse if everything turns around tomorrow i, I, I don't see myself at 100 yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean today is a scary day today um, specifically or just the yeah the typhoon that went like from the philippines yeah. china and then there's like north carolina whoa yeah yeah but so when you got to bard your cello your classical chops and your does just happiness to be in a place where the freaks ran free yes yes i uh i was really happy and i kind of yeah the people uh, in the south thought i was just kind of weird and it's annoying. You didn't see <laughs> you <know>? me. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but no, what was really big in the South to apart from classical music was techno. And I think techno uh, is actually the biggest influence for me. I love techno. And like techno is, is, I think, what was the most important for me and my musical development, I don't think I'd ever appreciate Xenakis if I didn't have like 10 years of raves before that. Yeah. Um, because techno is basically music that you can dance to, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and so it was really big uh, where I'm from. There was a huge like Berlin, South of France connection with uh, the compact label and beat pitch control. And a lot of people from Berlin were in residency at different nightclubs. Um, it was a shitty scene, and a lot of people were just idiots. But well, I mean, um, with techno specifically, you get a lot of people who are just really into drugs. Exactly. Um, and they're not so concerned with whether or not the music is interesting, or yeah, yeah, which is why it can be really boring. Um, uh, like techno. all music, most well, techno like, is crap. Yeah, most country music is crap. Yeah, but but Hank Williams and motherfucking Loretta Lynn is like the greatest thing you'll ever hear. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but so I'd say, I think in the way, uh, I think, uh, we relate to experiment where we experience, uh, experimental or noise music is, is very similar to the way, uh, you experience, uh, techno, except you're not moving. But, right. uh, in so far as your brain, I feel like it's similar and, you know, both techno and and noise music are totally devoid of emotional signifiers. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, is uh, really cool and inspiring. You know, it's really, like, gives you a sense of freedom, of 
of being able to like be in your own head and uh-huh. experience things in a very like intimate um way and in the same way you know when you go to see techno that's you know in places where people really care about the music and stuff like no one hits on you you know no one bothers you it's really like a solitary solitary journey and the same thing like at the noise show you don't see like people dancing (laughs) that that ulterior motive of like getting high getting laid getting meeting up with friends is exactly is not there and and i like that and i like these extreme situations um and i i actually think they're very uh sexy Mm -hmm. um because it's kind of uh mysterious or something sure you know Yeah, yeah yeah there's like um it's so funny that you say that because I had um, my iPod on shuffle yesterday walking around. So I was like hearing things that like hadn't heard in forever. Some, some, like I heard some techno stuff and I was reminded like, oh yeah, there was a period of time where like I didn't quite get so into it, but where I, I flirted with it a little bit and I was sort of just like checking in with what it is that I liked about it. And it is that thing where it's like you can kind of hear forms, you know, appear and then morph and then disappear and it is like actually pretty good music for solitary listening yeah and even when where you're with a ton of people yeah it's still kind of solitary um <clears throat> listening um i still listen to it a lot unfortunately i don't have as much energy as i used to and- to go out and hear it yeah and the good stuff always starts at like four you know yeah. so unfortunately you know if you want to see the good stuff like you, you gotta, gotta go to late. bed at like seven you yeah. know so um so unfortunately i i don't see as much uh live stuff but it's really my my father was taking me to raves when i was like a child really you know so it it like i had classical music and techno like really in parallel uh-huh. and most of my friends growing up were djs um what so, was your father doing at raves um it's complicated uh he is a sociologist um and <laughs> one of his phd students uh ran a techno collective they uh-huh. were called biomix um and they got along really well and they hung out a lot so we're not talking like trashy raves though we're talking sure. like illegal like in the woods raves but like with people who use maxim sp or something you know what i mean like yeah um so so yeah definitely just uh yeah uh, was huge part of music for me and the first type of music i listened to the first cd i bought myself i was seven years old it was daft punk's homework sure yeah 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 there's still like when I think about the sounds that I love, like evocative sounds, sounds that are like like there's like a tactile quality to them that I love, whether it's like sitting right next to a cellist and hearing the hairs of the bow across the strings at close range. Sorry. Uh the sound of synthesizers and electronics and like beats going through a PA at a loud volume is to me it's like a pristine it's such a specific sound, and few sounds make me as happy. Mm-hmm. I love it. Me too. Synths through a PA is just like oh, I, I get the goosebumps. I get, you know my my chest kind of rattles a little bit. You have the goosebumps right now. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I and I, I what I really love about it too, which is very similar to noise, is the wall of sound, mm-hmm. and that's 
that is, I find, so sonically fascinating of the thing, you know, I mean, I haven't seen that so much, like, in New York, but I remember, like, when I was growing up in the early 2000s, it's like everyone would just bring their PA speakers and mm -hmm. just, like, build the shittiest, like, huge wall of There's a charm sound, to that. Yeah. you know? Um, I, I hope I get to do that someday myself. <laughs> to build a wall of sound? With yeah, it's one of my goals yeah. to, like, pile, like, you know, shitty amps in a wall. <laughs> You know, like 30 pretty, of them. Pretty easy to achieve. It should be, but, you know, I yeah. mean, you still need, like, the time, the work, the help, the, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so, but one day. Yeah. It's, it's so, a, had you experienced any improvising in France? No. No. Had you, and you never heard anything? You had not heard um, anyone working within the realm of free improvisation? No. Mm. I happened at Bard. Um, I was a freshman mm. and I was walking down the hall and I heard like the weirdest sounds, um, coming from a classroom and I looked and it was, uh, electroacoustic ensemble, uh, which was Marina's class that was just a huge improv ensemble mm -hmm. and it was full, but I wanted to be in it so bad that I got in it anyway. Um, and that's, you know how I started and I think the the huge thing about improvisation for me was like I would you know I had I had been in the conservatory for 11 years like being treated like shit by my teacher who uh, being treated like shit as a matter of course or were you specifically singled out no I wasn't single well uh. I was in a positive way uh. he really liked me and believed in me and taught me every weekend an extra class for free uh. um, and he was but he was you know he told me I was good like maybe twice in 10 years um, and I guess I knew that he thought I was good because he was always giving me these extra lessons for free he was really really caring but he was extremely strict, you know, and would yell and, mm. you know, and and then, you know, when I started improvising with people, I realized, oh, you know, you can do your own thing. Like, I don't have to play all these pieces like perfectly for someone else. I can express my whole voice, my own voice. And then and then I just, uh, yeah, I... I got really into improvisation and pretty much like only did that for a long, long time. Um, and now I, in recent years, I think I've been putting my fingers in some new pots, mm -hmm. um, which I'm excited about. I've been collaborating with techno producers actually, really? and a lot of like harsh noise people. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'm like impatient or something. Sure. Like, you know. Yeah. Um, obviously still love improvisations. It's my favorite uh, improvised music. is my favorite music to see, I think. Um, as, as, as a listener, to go to a concert. It's so entertaining. I'd rather, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's really entertaining. I, you know? I, I go to shows sometimes at like big like arenas and shit, you know, and I'm always like, why am I here? Like, mm -mm. there's nothing happening. I'm, you know, a thousand feet from the, the music. You know, I'd much rather be in a small room yeah. listening to skilled musicians create improvisations. But I also feel like it's like, 
they're not doing the same thing uh, over and over again. You know, it's it's some you, of them are. no, some of them are. But I mean, it's that's so true. <laughs> uh, no, but you know, each concert is unique, mm-hmm. and and uh, and you can see you know what's happening and all the bloopers and um i mean i i know if just from my own perspective as a listener and as, as someone who makes music the, the the improvisers that i really love listening to and the improvisers that i like playing with and and developing a relationship with pretty much none of them are pro uh, pretty much all of them are are building chops up in different ways as improvisers as composers as conceptualists as as collaborators as all these different things and as i see the music maturing it's becoming uh, a, a pretty seamless i grew up with speech problems a seamless synthesis uh of all these things mm-hmm. so like an example would be i saw uh peter evans you know who i've known for many many years i've worked with he did this concert with this ensemble he's been building and it was all of these things all slammed up against each other. What was the ensemble? It was a quartet uh, with Maz Swift playing violin, Shannon Dunkelman playing percussion, and Ron Stabinski doing piano and electronics. Um, and and it was like it, all his shit was there: the writing, hmm. the the classical technique, the free improvisation, the noise, the intensity, like all of it, you know. And I hope that that's like um, something that's happening all over the place. Is that you know, people are feeling less concerned with like, I'm this, so I do this, and more of like really bringing in what's important to them. Yeah, I, I, that's where I think you get like really good, honest music. Yeah, no, I think it's true, and um, I'm, I, I think cross pollination of music is so important, and of scenes too. I think especially with experimental music. Oh my God, you know it's can be so sceny and then just be kind of like toxic and mm-hmm. um i really uh i used to book a lot of shows and and, yeah. and I, I i'm booking less shows now because i don't like um you know having this scene thing what what i've been doing instead is just playing on a lot of different bills you know reaching yeah. out to people from different worlds and wait so you um, moved to new york city in 2012 yes yeah mm-hmm. and immediately got involved with playing where you could play booking shows where you could book yep i think i booked my first show like a year in or something where was it um i can't remember but i uh-huh. i just mean i started booking like quite, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh actually no i remember it was a spectrum oh when i was on ludlow street I had booked Chris Pitsiokas, Tim Dahl, and Weasel Walter. I guess, is that CP unit or was? I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, Uh um, I had a fever. It was awful. But uh, yeah, now I try not to book too much. Um, I have a show at my house, though. Yeah. On September 29th, we've got 11 bands playing. all different kinds of stuff and that's what i really want to do um is what is just have like big you know fun like you know i mean 11 bands that sounds like a long concert it's it's long it's from 4 p.m to midnight Uh uh-huh 
Um, but we've got really good people. We got Akionda, uh-huh. uh, Bill Nay Sakyungli duo, um, Sarah Hennies and Jason Zay, Michael Foster and Ben Bennett. Uh-huh. We have a Rastafarian drum circle from Trinidad, <laughs> uh, which I love. That it's, sounds amazing. Yeah, and then after that, we have some a bit of techno. Um, Sky Bookworms, who's done a lot of like African yeah. rhythms. And is inspired. that your apartment? Yeah, it's in my backyard, yeah. Um, so, and there's some rock bands too, and but all of it is like pretty weird, you know, mm-hmm. or most of it. And so, yeah, that's kind of that's what I really want to do is like put all these these people together mm-hmm. from different scenes, and you know, I think all the people who come to I did it last year too. All the people who come really care about music you know yeah. they're like total nerds sure but they like have fun you know it's uh-huh. it lasts like eight hours and and there's a bar and stuff you know and how big is your apartment um <laughs> it's big yeah but it's outside, yeah. It's outside. It, yeah my backyard yeah. is really really big yeah um and my roommate works for a pa rental um place so, so. Boom, you got it <laughs> yeah yeah but when you were so when when you first started booking shows for people in New York, which is like something that is like really common with people that first come to the city who are enthusiastic, they want to you know be involved. Um, did you feel disheartened or something that like you didn't want to do it anymore? Or, well, I kind of hate it. Why? It's so stressful. You know, like if no one shows up, that's the worst. It's like your fault. You know, it's technically I experienced that. Technically, recently. it's not the band's fault. You know, it's your fault. So, um, that and, could, for me, that's a dev- uh, devastating feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, I, yeah, I just I hated that feeling, but I mean, you know, then sometimes you have ideas in mind. You're like, ooh, like I've for a long time I've been like I want to put village drums of freedom and bookworms together like this would be a really That'd good be a fucking cool concert yeah, yeah. fucking cool concert um i have other ideas but they're kind of like this concert i'm telling you about kind of like grand ambitious mm-hmm. rare happenings mm-hmm. yeah. yeah 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 and who so when you came to new york you kind of came with like a crew from bard or had you already started making connections outside of bard before you got here um, I moved here because, uh, Michael Foster was here uh-huh. and we were really close and, um, uh, we had a duo, you well, know, let's talk about that duo and let's talk about that friendship because he's a pretty intense fella. Yeah. <laughs> so am I. Yeah. You guys met when you were like little. Yeah. He's the first person I, imp- I played improv with. Uh, I was 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a freaking teenager, and uh, then, yeah, we were kind of, like, inseparable for a long time. Just pals at Bard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually I, like, moved in his house for a bit. We lived together for a while, and, um, yeah. And then he moved to New York, and Marina was in New York, and my cello teacher at the time, Alex, and, uh, Alex Waterman. Oh, I know Alex. He's yeah. great. Alex used to be my cello teacher, and he was oh, also wow. in New York. So, you know, I had like musical uh, yeah. connections. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, so it felt like the right thing to do. But yeah, Michael taught me a lot about improv 
stuff for sure. Yeah. Because um, he's bigger nerd than I am. <laughs> You know, he, like, collects DVDs and stuff. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you share that love of film that he has? Yes. I love film. Yeah. I think that's partly why we became friends. A huge film nerd. What was the first, Super some of the films, inspired. some of the directors you guys connected on? I can't really remember the directors, but it basically it was anything gore. Really? Um, gore, kind of BDSM-inspired violent or yeah yeah we liked like the human centipede and stuff like that <laughs> like i just anything the yeah. more extreme like sure. the better and i think i was like i don't know they're back in france like you know when you graduate high school you're an adult right that's and the the attitude yeah you of, get yeah. an apartment in a big city you can drink wine yeah yeah and I was like, damn, this country is vanilla, you know? And so yeah. I kind of, like, needed extreme art because sure. I was trying to make my life, like, as extreme as possible, which I've always done, always, like, uh, snuck into the backstage at a concert, stuff yeah. like that, you know? Like, um, just always trying to, you know, do the most extreme stuff that I could um, and at Bard, I felt kind of like imprisoned because I was like in the middle of the woods. I'm like, which backstage can I sneak into? Right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I was like. Was it just the in, geographical location that felt imprisoning or was it also like campus attitude? I mean, you can't in America, you can't drink legally till you're 21, you know. Yeah. So it, it's I think that range of years like between 18 and 22 there's a really big difference in maturity yeah. and in education actually like my first year is bored as fuck <laughs> like i didn't i wasn't learning much right I, yeah right 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 did you um when you did move to new york did it did it uh did it match up with or exceed or disappoint expectations at all with like in terms of extremism, you well, mean? Well, no, I mean, yeah, extremism, but also just like, yeah, what your personal experience was as someone who enjoys extreme things and was ready to play some fucked up music. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think. Do you feel like you have a, like a good crew of people here, like a community? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that I mean, that's why I'm still here. I guess it's really hard to live here. How so? I just were just really expensive. The money, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it's like if I lived in Philly, like I could eat organic food and stuff. You know, right. That'd be like yeah. pretty sweet. That um, stuff occurs to you. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, I don't want to talk about that subject because it's boring. Yeah, Everyone yeah, yeah. talks about it. What would you want me to talk about no, gentrification no. too? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but uh, yeah, no, I don't know. I guess I wasn't getting very much sleep, um, and I I was playing a lot though. I was playing as much as I could, and I was seeing like all this like new music and. I mean, the cello seems really like cool. a good instrument for someone who is interested in extremity and pushing just like the physical like makeup of the instrument you know if you are inclined towards that stuff it sort of begs you to dig in and find tones and sounds that you know are 
uh, dissonant, but like harmonically rich and dissonant. Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, the reason why I started playing the cello, actually, I used to be a violinist, but you couldn't dig in with the violin. If not, it like it blows sounds out pretty quickly, bad, yeah. you know, and so that's why I switched to the cello. Um, because you can literally physically like dig into the instrument. Yeah, um, it'll fight back. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's strong. Um, and the range is so is the biggest range of. Any it's my favorite instrument of all the instruments. It's my favorite instrument too. Maybe viola is though. I really like the viola. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, and there's a lot of stuff you can do. It's insane how much stuff you can do. I never use pedals for that. You don't need them. Reason? No, you don't Fuck need them with the cello. No. Did you, um, to this day, do you feel a connection to all your whole life that you've spent with a cello, like the classical stuff? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I would say it's a culmination. I'm a very nostalgic person. I, I, I'm. I always talk about the past. Mm. You know. I don't know why. It's kind of lame. But anyway, anything I think that I do creatively is like loaded with like two decades of memory. Yeah. You know? That's um, what it should be. Yeah. That's what yeah. it should be. I mean, I think people are inspired by different things, but um, I don't know. I, uh, I'm i a very nostalgic person. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I, uh, so the the... I'm actually I have a piece at issue project room in two weeks, which is a string quartet. Oh, whoa! Um, with a light installation. Are you playing in it? Or? Um, no, Mevo's quartet is playing it. Are you serious? You wrote a piece for Mevo's? Mm-hmm. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, Darone Saja is doing this light installation. The great Darone. Yeah, Darone is amazing. Um, I miss that guy. Oh yeah, he was an important part of New York City. He certainly was. Yeah. He's one of the most unusual people I've ever known. And I have this great memory of Daron. I used to wonder, did you ever get a chance to go to Paris, London, West Nile? No. It was a space that he ran with a with, bunch of other guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a pretty funky space. Like, you, every time I played there, every time I hung out there, I would look at, you could see Daron, you could see the other like, people that also lived there. And I said, how do they do that? Like, it's got to be, like, kind of rough, you know, to, like, have to walk through a crowd of, like, noise fans to brush your teeth. I remember one day I, just, I was getting ready to play a show there. It was before anyone got to the venue. And I looked over at Daron. He was just sitting by himself, drinking like a 32-ounce Sierra Nevada, staring at the floor. It's <laughs> like, oh, there's the man like in his piece. And there he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I saw him this week. And Daron, um, he left. Okay. Uh, but he came to create the installation for the piece mm-hmm. that's happening in two weeks. And uh, he now lives in Berlin. Um, and he's a professor, master's program at the university. Yeah. Good for Daron. I'm very happy for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deserves it. Um, so, so the piece that you wrote for Mivos. So that piece is called Episode et Mutation. Uh, episodes and mutations, I guess. Um, but it, it's, it's all about memory because it, it's a string quartet, which as we're talking about, it's like the whole classical background um, but the lights were inspired by uh, techno, actually, um, and how if if you go to the nightclub, um, there's always like the most insane, you know, light stuff, especially yeah. in New York City. You know, sure. they get super fancy with it. Um, and I thought, you know, why why is there never anything so sophisticated for classical music? Like, 
you know, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's why I made that piece uh, the way it is. And yeah, it's how long is the piece? Fifty minutes. Five zero. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's kind of necessary for. Uh, it's like a very. It's it's super psychedelic, um, but super slow. Yeah. You need fifty minutes to. So it's like we've got these twelve like super strong, uh, RGB lights that are gonna be. What uh, kind of lights? I think RGB. I okay. <laughs> anyway, we've got these like insanely strong lights that yeah. Daron has been testing an issue and I've been watching and just like these certain colors make the walls move and stuff. It's like really Yes. It's really That's trippy. what it should be. Yeah. It's super trippy. Yeah. Um Yeah. Um and so it's like fifty minutes of, you know, very uh psychedelic. Uh, sounds and really strange that yeah um but very minimal mm. um i think because they're of the lights and stuff 50 minutes is not that long it will go by pretty fast definitely um it's weird the way that shit works i i wrote a piece and performed it uh a couple well, a couple times last year but specifically at like a big show at roulette there was 55 minutes and i was like oh this will really be like an immersive thing you know, you'd recline and it went by like that interesting and everyone in the audience was like okay is there another piece is there another band Whoa. that's a compliment <laughs> it certainly didn't feel like one. really i mean if you like were able to have people sit down for almost an hour and want more it's pretty good i mean yeah yeah, yeah it didn't it I walked away from it feeling like, well, I probably should have booked a second band, but also that maybe the piece like should be fleshed out and longer. Um, yeah, which is cool. That is cool. It is cool. Um, did you write for that space in mind? That's a very specific yeah. space to play in. Um, not really. It's not. I've written stuff that's about that space because I used to be an artist in residence there. Oh, okay. Um, so a, a lot of the work I did at the time was kind of about uh, just for it, you know. Well, I mean, if you're gonna play in that space, you have to take that space into oh, consideration. Oh yeah, I mean, it dictates the music. It's crazy. I would never put a drum set in that room. Me neither. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Um. So. That piece is not for the space, but it it's written so that it won't be like completely destroyed by by the, <laughs> by the space. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's like drone stuff, but it's not made for. I think it would sound better in like a dry space, actually. Really? Yeah, because amplified it's, in a dry space. Or? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. very like beat frequency oriented, and mm-hmm. a lot of like kind of like mind bending intervals with microtonal stuff, and and at issue uh, that's not. I mean, it sounds great, but that it'll be about something else in that space. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. And okay is me. recorded music important to you? Like, in general, or well, participating my... in recording and releasing music. Yeah, but so like recordings—it's very different thing than live, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, and I even 
the stuff I listen to that's recorded, I I wouldn't go see a show of. Right. Um, Yeah. There's a lot of, like, I, you know, I go to a lot of noise shows. I probably go to more harsh noise shows than any other Mm -hmm. type of music. I'm really thankful for the small scene we have in New York, actually. It's an intense experience. It's really special. It's, it's small, but, um, people are really great. But anyway, um, that's something that's difficult to listen to at home. Yeah. It's um, not the right, uh, context for it. Yeah. I still have a bunch of tapes and I listen to it like fairly often, but yeah, I, but like I listen to industrial music at home much more than noise, for example. Sure. Um, and same with improvisation. Um, I don't listen to it too much at home uh at home i yeah i listened more like industrial or anything that's like the pop version of Of whatever (laughs) kind of music i'm into you know so like i'll listen to like jazz-ish stuff Uh or anything that But but what about making records is that like something you spend a lot of time thinking about um I don't know. I'm a like I'm really a perfectionist. So like when I make a record, it's you know I'm I spend a lot of time on it, and I also just especially I I don't know you know putting out a physical thing like that's plastic you know uh-huh. that's uh, someone's money that's it's it's kind of a you know, I I want to be cautious and and yeah. only release stuff that's good. I know a lot of people like release a lot over and over again, and that's fine and it's great actually. Um, but myself, I wouldn't want to release anything unless I'm sure mm-hmm. that it's good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to waste. I don't like waste. Mm-mm. And and ear wastes, you know. There's a lot of ear or, waste going around. Oral waste. There's a lot you know? of ear waste going around. And it's like, oh, you know, put out this new digital track, and it's like, well, Lula's my friend. I guess I have to like listen to it. You know what I mean? No, <laughs> I, I know I, what I you just, mean. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to like release anything that's not super worked out. Um, and, yeah, it, it's it's interesting to me to see musicians' attitude towards releasing music changing. You know, like that used to be kind of like the big thing was like, oh, I'm making records and and getting signed to labels, and and it seems like less important to people, which I think is fucking cool. Yeah, uh, like music is an ephemeral thing. Yeah, and I'm someone that loves you know my favorite aspect of music making has always been studio work and and making like really detailed recordings and and it still is i just made a record but it was one record in two years right you know it's an hour long wow but what is it it's solo clarinet with electronics wow okay but it's not you know part of like a dozen records made it's like two years i i was very cautious to say okay you know like i i will make sure this kind of sits out yeah, on its yeah, own. yeah yeah um but i think it's cool that people are, are losing that like it 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 used to be now I'm talking about going back like 50 60 years or 40 years 20 years that record labels were the thing um like the gatekeeper you know like oh if I want to get my music out there I need a label well now you don't need a label so why would you be concerned with the physical object when you can just like make it put it out yeah 
I, 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 it's, it's, it's cool to me, and it's also interesting to see how people are like navigating. Like, yeah, you could just put it right out. I don't want to put it just out there into the digital pile of shit because I want it to mean something. So I'm, I'm just curious how people are navigating that. So I'm curious too. It's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. Do you uh, do you have plans for? I mean, because you've only done like three records, right? Yeah, I've ha- I have like no releases. Yeah, and I I have like a record with Leah Bertucci from like 2014 or something. Uh-huh. I've got a CD with Michael Foster and like a tape with Zach Rowden, and that's it. That's all I've done in the yeah um, past like seven years that I've. That's you know, uh, that's a pretty been an active musician. Yeah, concise little. Yeah, but I have a solo album coming out. Really? Um, in January, uh, it's an LP, and I've been working on it since February, January actually. Uh-huh. So it's like a year's work, and and I had a label, like immediately. You know, like the recording was paid for by the label. Uh, like it wasn't because you know often it takes a long time you yeah, got a yeah. shop label no like this was all set you know the recording the mixing engineer the mastering Whoa. like okay. everything was all set there was no research on my part it just is taking me a year to like it's on you that's taking this time yeah 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 um and i'm that's also good. releasing uh stuff with Joanna Matry and uh, Sean Ellie yeah uh and then the trio with uh, Susan Allen Alcorn and Ingrid Laubrock oh. on Relative Pitch. That's an interesting show. Um yeah. So But what so what tell tell me about the solo record. Um the solo record. Was it recorded in a studio and concert? It was actually recorded at issue. Uh-huh. It's called the Head Flush. It's it's very like hypnotic. Um one of the tracks like should put you to sleep like it's put me to sleep before uh-huh. um you know it's put other people to sleep in concert too. put them to sleep yeah okay it's yeah yeah um it's it's kind of yeah it's it's very hypnotic it's very pretty um you know like um max albacker um do you know max albacker I don't think so. He's in that band Horse Lords. Oh yeah, um, yeah, from Baltimore. Yeah. He mixed it. Okay. In a very creative way. Uh-huh. Um some of the tracks actually I asked him to even kind of go wild and like add the electronics to it. Sure. And he did a wonderful job and I'm a huge fan of Max's work, so it's kind of I'm honored uh to have him work on that record. So I I'm actually really excited about the records. Um um, for several reasons, Max being one of them. Uh-huh. Um, that to me has always been one of the most fun aspects of making a record is that you can invite people to collaborate in a way that you wouldn't normally get to. So like, for instance, like that painting, my friend B made that um, for the cover of the record I just put out. I called oh, her up cool. like two years ago. I was like, B, I want you to do a painting, you know? Two years ago. <laughs> That's life. <laughs> You know, I was like, B, you got to do a painting. And she made the painting, you know, and then I called up uh, my friend who I want to do, like, you got to do the layout, you know? Yeah, yeah, That yeah. to me is a really exciting aspect of making records. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Getting your psycho friend to mix it in a way that it's just like, whoa, that's weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So no, who's, who's putting it out? Uh, Catchwave LTD. Whoa, I don't know that. Um, it's a relatively new label. Yeah. Um, I think the, there's only a, a few releases for now. Dominic Labro Ray. 
Leo Sversky. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like Leo's a pretty specific then, person. Yeah. So uh, Leo has a release on that. Yeah. Okay. When's that coming out? January. Excited? Yeah. I mean, I'm excited to have solo work out there. Yeah. I Feels think good. that's like really missing, you know? People doing solo stuff? No, for, for me. For you, like, yeah, you totally. know, Like, there's no... And you do a lot of solo stuff, so like it should I be... I do hard. solo stuff all the time, but I'm super hard on myself. Yeah. You know? what? What is it that makes you so hard on yourself? Or wh- where do you find yourself beating yourself up, like after a gig or... Mm, I mean, obviously, I think there's something like partly psychological about it. Sure. And a kind of intimate uh, way of just being hard on yourself in general a lot of people are like that um but i don't know i just feel i'm surrounded by so many people who like blow my mind you know at the basement of a bar Mm -hmm. like that you know i just i i really i feel like i'm i don't really make music for myself and make music for other people like that's how i get pleasure out of it Mm -hmm. and so if it's not like an awesome set that like transported people uh i'll be kind of frustrated you Mm -hmm. know because it's really like whoops uh i i I really uh get a kick out of out of others Mm -hmm. very like humanist kind of person Um, and so, yeah, I think that's partly like why I'm so hard on myself is because I, I really want people to appreciate it. And I'm just swimming in this scene of like, you know, amazing musicians. And, There's a lot of good people out there. And, and as I said, like waste is my pet peeve, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, don't I, contribute I, to you the know, pile. I just want like quality stuff to happen. Yeah. Know? That's a good feeling. Especially yeah. when you like achieve it. Yeah. 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 When you achieve it, it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah, totally. Playing a good set. Wow. So nice. It's the it's the greatest. It it's feels so good. It feels so good. Yeah. And playing a bad set is not that bad anyway. But playing a good set. It's the best. It's the best. Cool. I no, tell me. No, I was, no, no, no. What were you gonna say? Uh I think the worst feeling in the world, though, is playing a good or a bad set at a bad gig. Well, what constitutes a bad gig? Like, if not many people show up and the only people who show up are not really who you're hoping to play music for. That's a bad gig. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a bad gig. You know what I'm talking about. No, no, no. I I, I like to hear about bad gigs. Um, uh, where all the other sets are bad. Uh-huh. Where the opener plays for an hour. <laughs> oh, that's a bad gig. Um, <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, yeah. like when the owner play uh, opener plays for an hour, you're like, damn, the night is ruined. Um sorry. No, no, I had <laughs> but, that thing recently. I played a gig and the people that opened it was a con it was they played way too fucking long in a room that was kinda hot. The one of the people in the group clearly hadn't showered in days and was just like exuding this like really intense bo. And the room started out with like a pretty good sized crowd, and by the time they were done, they'd cleared half of it. Wow! And I was like, dude, thanks a lot, you fuck. Like I, I was hoping to play for some people, and now I'm just gonna sit up here in an empty room and sit in your stench. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, but that's just the way it is, I guess. Um, yeah, I think the other sets 
are kind of what constitutes it's a, a bad kick. Like if if the music sucks, uh, you know, if you have to go after like a bad set, it's just Dunzo. I can't recall ever playing a good set after <laughs> seeing a bad band. And and like yeah, when when I play gigs and people ask me when I want to play, if there's uh an act that i'm not so fond of i i make sure to play before them yeah um not saying someone's really bad just something that's like not my vibe you know it's good to know what Um, you're you know yeah (laughs) Yeah, no like what what takes you you know to make a good gig yeah so i'll I'll open if openings the best yeah because then you can have some drinks you can hang out that's a big thing yeah i can't drink before i play not even one glass of wine no yeah. Or like maybe half a glass, but yeah. it's generally pretty de- detrimental to my playing. Well, I'll I'll give you a quick version, a quick story of a bad gig. This was three years ago. Okay. <clears throat> when I was going through a really hard time personally, like a lot of like difficult stuff was going on. So, and I was drinking really heavily during that period. And a friend put together a gig, put together a quartet, improvising at um, that what was the name of that place in Brooklyn, the Manhattan Inn. Mm, I miss the Manhattan Inn. And the bass player in the group is a friend of mine, Trevor Dunn, Mm -hmm. who played when I was in high school in a band that was my favorite fucking band that I would, you know, go to the ends of the earth for. And at that show, Trey, the guitar player from that band, happened to be in town and came to the gig. And I drank so much before the gig that I played like garbage. And the reason I played by gar- like garbage is because I was completely hammered. And I was playing with and in front of like the guys who in high school like shaped the way I played music. Oh no. <laughs> I mean it happens. That's a bad gig. It happens. It happens. They were very forgiving of it. They understood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you came over. Thank you. Thank you for coming. I'm glad to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hot in here. I'm going to turn the fan on. Okay. Your podcast is cool. Thank you, Layla. (laughs) I've been listening to it. (laughs) All right. I hope that you guys dug that. That was me and Layla Boudreau. That's a fifth pronunciation. Uh, I think I'm getting closer to it. Layla, she's great. She's creative. She's original. She's doing exciting things, and um, it's cool. It's cool to check her out. Do it. Go to LaylaBoudre.com. Uh, go to the 5049 website. Check in, man. There's a lot of shit there. A lot of episodes, some records, some T-shirts, uh, good shit. I've got some shows coming up. I'm going to be in Paris next month. Doing a solo show The following month I'll be in LA Doing a solo show Yeah I'm coming for you Uh, More on that soon In the interim Hope you guys are all good We'll be back next week With another episode Next week's a good one man It's not the one with me and Ship It's it's a surprise one I hope you guys like storytelling Because there's some stories coming at you next week All right, uh, hope you're hanging in. Fight the man, fight the power, do all that shit. Bye.